1: Good afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, I'm so pleased to have Anne Goldstein joining us from New York City. Um, hi, Anne. Welcome to Living Writers. Hi. Thank you. Uh, well, well, thanks for thanks for uh, being game for radio via the magic of the phone line. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then the, the more magic of radio beaming out to the, to the world. Um, and we're, we're, um, we're talking on the occasion of the publication of, uh, the the fourth book public that you've translated, um, in the, the Neapolitan series, uh, of Elena Ferrante's, um, you've translated all four of these, these, these massive books, (laughs) Um, which is quite, quite an accomplishment. Um, And today we're going to be talking about, uh, because this one is just recently out, the story of the lost child, book four, the Neapolitan novels, maturity, old age. Um, Anne, would you mind, before we start, if I read your short bio and, and then Elena Ferrante's Um, to start us off. Okay. Anne Goldstein's translations for Europa Editions include two novels by Amara Lacus, two books by Alessandro Piperno, and previous novels by Helena Ferrante. Goldstein is head of the copy department at The New Yorker. Helena Ferrante was born in Naples. She is the author of The Days of Abandonment, Troubling Love, and The Lost Daughter, her Neapolitan novels include My Brilliant Friend, The Story of a New Name, Those Who Leave and Those Who Stay, and the fourth and final book in the series, The Story of the Lost Child. Anne Goldstein is Helena's, Ferrante's translator, as I mentioned at the top of the program, of this quite uh, quite an epic series of books. <laughs> yes,
2: it's definitely an epic
1: Um. And, gosh, where do we even start with this? Because uh, when I look at these books, just the sheer magnitude of pages and the weight of carrying them here to the radio station, I think this must be such an an all-consuming project, you as the translator, as sort of the the voice of Alan Affronte for the Europa editions.
2: It's a big big project, but um, I had translated her earlier novels as well.
1: Would that be uh, the, the days of abandonment? The days for of Europa? abandonment, and troubling, troubling love, love,
2: and the lost daughter. Uh, and oh, um, well, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that they prepared me exactly, but they prepared me for her, um, for some of her themes and her voice in a certain sense. But um, it was uh, the each of the Neapolitan novels is a, is either twice as long or more than twice as long as her earlier as each of her earlier books. So, yes, it was kind of a large project, a lot of typing.
1: And it seems like a lot of time to be occupying um, another writer's headspace, in a way, and and trying to understand it.
2: Yeah. But, um, I mean, it's, I guess when you're in it, you don't really think about it. Um, I mean, it is, um, it's. You you do feel I mean I've, I felt during the I mean I didn't spend four years translating them but they each each they came out for each a year apart over in the course of four years so every year since nineteen twelve I think or I guess the first one 12, 13, 14, came out in nineteen twelve so since nineteen eleven I mean or, two, 20, or 2000. 2011, okay <laughs> I've <laughs> I've had um I've I've had her these books and the characters of course most important. Um, in my head, and um, they've taken up a good, pretty big space. And when the, actually in particular with the third one, when the third one was, when I would finished translating the third one, I I was so, um, I mean, they were, they're, they're, these are novels that have a lot of, I don't know how many people have read them, but they have a lot of characters, a lot of relationships. They cover 60 years um, in, in the life of two friends and in the life of a country, really, of Italy. And so you have a lot going on in your head. And um, when I got to the end of the third one, I really I felt like there was something was missing from my life. I was quite bereft. But <laughs> <laughs> wait, what's, what's, not, what's not happening now? And yeah. I, I realized it was the book.
1: <laughs> exactly. Like what's going on with the Grecos? What's happening? Yeah, exactly. What are they up to? Or, or the, um, well, I'll tell you what, Anne, why don't we... Um, Thanks for telling us, giving us sort of the scope of the story, like how this is, it's set in Italy, in Naples, like a a neighborhood. It begins my brilliant friend in, in, um, one of the poor neighborhoods in Naples. Um, and it, it moves the, the, all four move from the 1950s to the present day. Um, can we hear a little bit about sort of your origin story now? Like, how did you become a translator? How, um, how did this start for you?
2: It started, well, I mean, it, how I became a translator was somewhat accidental. I had sort of been in love with Italian for many years, and I but I hadn't had a chance to learn it. And then I really wanted to read Dante in Italian, and so I discovered that there were a few other people in my office who were also interested in that type of project or in that particular project. And so we had an Italian class in our office uh, taught by the daughter of a well-known uh, Dante professor at Columbia. And we spent a year reading, um, reading it, learning the grammar, learning grammar, basically. And then we read Dante. We actually read Dante, which is kind of amazing when I think about it. Uh, it's a but great anyway, first at book. At a certain point, um, a, an Italian manuscript or an Italian book, actually, by a writer called Aldo Buzzi, the two Z's, um, came to the editor of The New Yorker. And uh, he gave me the book and said, can you read this? And so I, I need to write to the author and just tell him that you know we can't pu- possibly publish this. Well, it's in Italian. Um, anyway, I, I read the book and I really liked it, so I decided to try to translate it, and I did, and it was published. <laughs> so that was the beginning of my of my uh, of my brilliant career. <laughs> and yes, and it, and so
1: amazing that so it was almost um, like you have to be ready and open because you never know what will happen.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Because it seems like this has then really informed your life as as a writer. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not
2: really a writer. I'm really a translator. <laughs> a translator and editor and copy editor. So I don't really do much writing of my own, except when I have to write an introduction or something.
1: And and so um, with as the head of the copy department, um, is that... I mean, th- that seems like it's also related because you're always... Um, Uh, Kind of trying to find the best way for the language that's coming across your desk.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that it's it's another way of being in another writer's. It's a different form of being in another writer's head, as you put it before. I mean, um, you're trying to. We always we used to say that we are, you know, trying to make the writer sound as good or and as clear and express himself or herself as well as he or she can. And I think, you know, in a funny way that's like translating. I mean, translating is a little more um I mean you're you're writing something more. But anyway, it's it's a similar feeling. I mean you want to make um the writer of a different language sound as good as they can in English, as he or she can in English.
1: And Anne, yeah. so so you're so you say you're, you're writing something more like that's, and that I understand. I get what you mean by that, but can you say mm-hmm. more with the idea of translating? Because when you're, when you're getting a copy of um, Elena Ferrante's My Brilliant Friend, for example, or one of the earlier books, like you said, like the, the, mm-hmm. th- those, um, yeah. you know, cause there's, there's the Italian that's on the page and then there's the nuance and the meaning. Like how can you, uh sort of start to walk us through how you approach um working with this Ferrante as a particular author and maybe translating? i mean
2: my, i use i i approach most authors the same in the same way i mean um i i usually Read the book. Well, I usually read the book first. In the case of Ferrante, I I actually after the first book, I didn't even read the book first, but because um, <laughs> I was under some time pressure. But um, but actually, I think it worked out pretty well. Um, it, it was a, you know a slightly different experience. But normally, I would make a first draft of a book. Uh, I mean, of a translation, and I would make a, a first draft pretty quickly, without worrying too much about. Um, nuances of meaning or or problems. I, I just go through it and then I have a draft. And then in successive versions I usually have you know, probably three or four versions at least. I um I refine and I just keep refining. And often in the first the first or second version in the first version, certainly in the second, I put like I'll put several possibilities Uh, of a a word. I'll I'll give myself some options, like three or four, two or three options for certain words. And then as I go through it again and again, I I narrow them down and finally I choose the word that I think is the best. Um, Every once in a while, it's two words for one word. (laughs) Um so that's that's sort of the process if that's what
1: you're asking. Yeah, definitely. Um and I was I was talking with my brother earlier today where he had actually been working on a, a project with an Italian man who was actually writing to him but in fragments of like in English, but mm-hmm. he was trying to even then put that into something that was that they were going to publish in English. And so and he was saying that even explaining that that part was difficult really trying to because he knew what the the man was trying to say but it took quite oh. a bit of work to put it into so so that's interesting this idea of interpretation and and um
2: yeah, there's a huge amount of interpretation. I mean in a sense because every I mean every word that well i mean some words obvious are obvious but but words i mean many words have many have a lot of meanings and um whereas the writer can use a word and know that let's say several of those meanings will be uh will be clear to the, to the readers to his or her readers in the original language the translator has to decide which of those meanings is the most important oh. um and you know a different translator might have a different idea
1: that's I'm so glad you said that because and when I'm thinking about this project I'm thinking like I, I know that uh Elena Ferrante has has like sh- she's created these these the ideas and the characters mm-hmm. and the stories but but how we're how the English reading audience here in the US is getting the book is through your lens through your your right. voice.
2: It's a responsibility.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: oh, can you say more about that? About the feeling, about the language, or about the responsibility? The responsibility. Well, I mean, I I think that the, I mean, I consider myself to be a pretty literal translator, which I am, because I often go back to, um, when I get to the close to the final version, I I do go back. Well, I always have the text with me, but I I. Often, go back to the text, and um sometimes i'll go back to my uh, to an earlier version of the translation, because I think that i've gotten too far away from it. Mm. Um, you know people a lot of people not a lot, but I mean people have different ideas about it. I think in earlier times, there was a perhaps more freedom people felt freer or they didn't feel the kinds of constraints that at least that I feel to um to be accurate and to stay close to the original. I mean, without obviously, you know, n- not not like Google Translate, but um, right, right. right. <laughs> uh, to 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 just keep the author and the original in mind
1: and the spirit of of that.
2: Yes, yeah. I mean, I guess I believe that by being um by 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 taking by thinking about the meaning all the time, by thinking about the meaning of the word, of the sentence, of the paragraph, of the sentence in the paragraph. Um, that's the best way I can be um, faithful to the spirit as well.
1: Dialing close into the language itself. Yeah. Okay. And we're going to take a short break and then we'll be back to talk more. Um, Today on the program, Ann Goldstein joins us um, from New York City. Anne is the translator of Elena Ferrante's The Neapolitan, the Neapolitan Novels. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. You've got Living Writers. We've got The Liz Behind the Glass. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: Frisca l'aria, la canzona d'u cu. Diceva, core, 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 mi allontana vai. Tu malassia con Isa quan tur narraje, risponive tur narrache. Quan nataren nan alli rose, sistu chora daran amache, pura maci as lunga.
1: Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, I'm glad you did. You've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel, and today Anne Goldstein um, is on the program. She joins us from New York, um, and you're talking to us from your office. I am. Right? Yes. So right now you're in your, your office chair at The New Yorker.
2: Yes. <laughs> I am, um, I'm on the 38th floor of the World Trade Center, in fact, looking out at New York Harbor. Wow. What's it looking
1: like today, Ann? It's beautiful fall is um, here.
2: Yeah, there's all kinds of boats out there.
1: Um,
2: sun, sunset.
1: <laughs> How do you get any work done with that kind of a window? <laughs> <laughs> I keep my back to it. <laughs> yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also wanted to say thank you for choosing the, the music for today's program. Oh,
2: you're welcome. Could, Rob, could you tell us a little bit about it, the the song? The... i don't I don't know that much about it except that I like it. <laughs> I mean these are old neapolitan um popular songs, and the um Roberto Murillo is a famous interpreter of them
1: Ah, uh, and so is this something um uh not to be corny, but would you listen to this but when you were going to be translating into italian
2: um no, because i well sometimes i might but i i don't really um I don't like to listen to anything while I'm translating. I just need to have silence.
1: Yeah, and listen to what's in the language.
2: Yeah. Um sometimes I listen to um occasionally I listen to, you know, like books on tape, Italian books on tape, but um not really. I don't I don't I mean not while I'm translating, but to go oh. along with translating. I
1: was going to say but you're a really... genius, Anne. How could you? How could you do that? That would be changing everything, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I was thinking about at the, during the break. I was thinking about how you. Um, had said that for, for the first book in the series, My Brilliant Friend, mm-hmm. you had a chance to read the entire novel before going back and even like starting the first draft and, and, yeah. and going through it completely in the mm-hmm. drafting process. And then but for the others, because of time constraints, you had to um, you had to move forward as you were meeting the story itself within the story, translating it. Um, And I think you would probably be the person like uniquely positioned to be able to do that um, with veracity and to be true to the story itself because of having done the prior three novels outside Mm -hmm. of the series and the first one. Do you think so? Is it something where there was something that you had been building like an accumulated knowledge or so, or sensibility.
2: No, I mean, I think that the fact that that, um, I mean, partly it's the fact that you know you're going to be reading it three or four more times. Ah, that means that you can sort of it's sort of type as you read, but it's kind of a um, I don't know how to describe it. It's there's something um, um, I don't know intimate about about. Type uh, about reading and translating at the same time. I mean, it's like having two voices at once
0: Mm.
2: in some way, Um, which may not be the best way to read a book. But, but ultimately, I think well, ultimately, I think translation is a great way to read a book. (laughs) But um, yeah, why? um, Just because of that um, that particular kind of intimacy that you have with the text i mean with, with in a in this word for word way i mean i never um well i mean of course i do read it i mean i do read it over eventually but but i mean my first experience of a of a text that i'm translating well even if i read it in italian i mean it's, it's a different experience from reading it in english and from reading it in my first Draft of of sort of word for word or sentence by sentence translation. I don't know if that's making any sense, but something like that.
1: No, it is. I mean, what, I think because what you're describing is like you, you're helping us to see into part of the creative process of of making the translation.
2: Yeah, I mean, and it's also um, because you're because you have to analyze every word. Uh, you get a pretty close. Uh, analysis of the text, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, none closer, I would imagine.
2: Well, on that on that level, it's pretty close. I mean, I don't know. I, I think I, I've been doing these various panels about Ferrante, and I'm, I find people, you know, talking about sort of more overarching themes and things, and I'm thinking, well, I don't really, you know, I I really, I'm not sure I've ever really stopped to think about it in this sort of broader way. <laughs>
1: Because you're so close into Cause I'm, this, because I'm very
2: close to it. Yeah,
1: that is interesting. So, because you mentioned um, <coughs> via email that you had been traveling, was this for some of the panels to do with the, the books? Um, yeah, made? I was
2: traveling. Yeah, that's right. I was doing some panels in London.
1: So, okay, so Anne, it's it's interesting and curious because it seems like uh, we maybe we should say uh, for for listeners who who aren't sure, Helena Ferrante is a pseudonym. Right. Yeah. For the writer right. who we think was born in Naples, um, yeah, in Italy, um, and who is is somewhat en- enigmatic as a figure and and is mysterious, uh, kind of has. I don't know if this is true. Maybe you can let me know. Like mm-hmm. one country, one interview sort of policy. Um, so doesn't. Well, talk I think she much. does a lot more. She's oh, she... she's
2: done um, when the Neapolitan novels came out. She's. I mean, as they as they have come out, she's done. More interviews, um, especially in English. I mean, she doesn't do the interviews in English. She, but she's done interviews in America and England, um, not in person, only by email.
1: Right, right, and that's interesting too, isn't it? Always, yeah. Via there's there's an element of control there, um, needing yeah. to control. Yeah, I mean, the there's words. an element of
2: control in the sense that she, you know, her original, um, or one of her one of her ideas is that she she says. Uh, well I've written the book, I'm I don't need to the book is I, I've written the book, isn't that enough? Is sort of something that she said once <laughs> Truly. in an interview yeah. or a letter, I guess. And then and she told her publishers, right, when she published her first book, which in England in in Italian was um L'Amore Molesto, troubling love. Ah. Uh, she said she she told them that she wasn't gonna do any kind of promotion or publicity for the book and they accepted that
1: there's I don't know if everyone can hear that's so our little mysterious dolphin there oh, that's kind yeah. of chiming in every now and then today on Living Writers. <laughs> Ann Goldstein do you have a dolphin do you have a pet dolphin in the New Yorker office? <laughs> well no. It's the magic of radio you can say anything Ann don't worry. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: Um, But yeah so and I think it was and and correct me if I'm wrong, and but it, it seemed like what she said her reasoning, or maybe not that uh, Elena Ferrante needs to give a reason to everyone, because these these are these books can stand alone, and they mm-hmm. no one should have to go out and um, on some sort of publicity tour to let them have a voice. But I, that the story was so um, so grafted into her in some way that maybe it was too. It would be too too exposing. To,
2: to I think in the beginning she did feel that with the first book with um, uh, Troubling Love, her first her first book that was published in Italian in 1992, um, I think she did feel somewhat that it was it was too exposing, and therefore she wanted to to use a pseudonym. But but then her her reasons became more, um, or they inc- she had further reasons which were that she didn't want to she didn't she thought that the person of the author that she wanted her books to stand by themselves. She didn't feel that the marketplace needed her, that they would make their own way. Um, and she didn't like the whole image of the author being so important to selling books. Um, and she's been very lucky because she, <laughs> her books are selling <laughs> yeah. without her. Yeah.
1: And i I, I got to say, I really like that.
2: I yeah. Actually, I mean, I think a lot of people like that. Um, so a what? lot of writers like that, I think. <laughs>
1: Yeah, who probably don't? Yeah, maybe, maybe don't necessarily want to have the glamour shot go along yeah, with the book, or exactly, so. yeah, or you must have a website,
2: and yeah, FAQs. Exactly. No, I think or, people are very um, forced to do all those things, or expected to to do all those things.
1: Yeah, if you want somehow this this art to have a chance. Yeah, but this shows that it's a, It doesn't have to be that way necessarily, right? If you've got some epic force yeah. pouring forth. Yes, the epic right. helps. Yeah, the epic is not is not hurting in this case. Right. <laughs> the sheer volume of material that um that's created here. Um and have you had um email correspondence sc- the correspondence with Elena Ferrante? Um
2: I think I did once, but mainly I in the beginning um, I just I communicated if I had questions or something I, I would communicate through through the um publishers who are as far as I know the only people who know who she is um or know her in person, I guess I should say. And um so if I had questions, I would, um, I would go through them. I think once or twice I've gotten an email from her. But, you know, it's a pseudonymous email address. <laughs> I mean, it's, she's writing it, but it's...
1: <laughs> right, right. But yeah. it's, it's, not, it's not giving you a clue to who she... Um, no. Her real name, for example. No.
2: I mean, and I find it basically, and maybe you do too, you know, it's, it's, not, it's kind of irrelevant in a way. I mean, it doesn't really matter who she is,
1: at least to me. Exactly. Exactly. I was wondering with, like, if you ever wanted clarifications for story, like, or anything mm-hmm. like that, like, if it had ever been sort of a practical matter yeah. where within the, the language or if you'd come, come upon something.
2: Right. And, I, I, and I've usually, as I said, I mean, I've usually asked, I would, I will ask the publisher and they'll ask her and then, you know, she'll explain or she'll clarify or... Um, but but as a, but generally through the publisher. Can you think of one of those
1: examples like where it oh, was? No, I can't. I'm sorry. sorry. No, no, it's OK. It's OK. Putting you on the spot there. Anne. Um, so. So it is. So it's it is interesting. So it is the right. So you really are working with this text as translator. It's almost as if she's gone like you've um like it's Sappho. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make it easier because I wonder if you were in contact with the writer if that wouldn't also add a different kind of pressure?
2: Well, it does. I mean, I've translated I've actually translated a lot of dead authors in um in my translation career and and some living authors. I mean, I've never worked really closely with an author. I mean, the first writer that I um that I translated uh that I mentioned Aldo, Aldo Buzzi, I did work with him a bit. And sometimes it's um it's difficult, i mean sometimes it's good because the uh, because you you know the author can usually um explain things that that or or clarify or even rewrite i mean i once with um i remember once with, um I, I translated a book called city by this uh, novelist called Alessandro barico, and there was something that was very it was really a complicated image and I couldn't make it work in English and so I was. At, I asked him about it, and he sort of looked at it and he said, "Oh, just take it out." Really? <laughs> yeah. So that, That's like that's kind of an extreme, but still. And then it, it can may- be. Um. It, in some ways, it's you know, it's easier to work with with a dead writer. In some ways, it's it's not.
1: Or or or, a, or maybe a silent writer. Do you have or a, a sil-
2: silent or absent writer? Yeah.
1: Have, have you ever like got wind where, um, you know, where you think, oh. Ellen has given me the thumbs up or some, some sort of encouragement like that.
2: Um, I think that she's appreciated the translations. Yes. And she's, the, she's let me know that.
1: Because if not, then it's not like you would, you would keep going with all, like be entrusted with these books. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, if she, if she said, oh, this is terrible, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> I, <guess> I wouldn't. <laughs> right. Um, I like
1: what James Wood says, um, uh, like where he's writing the praise. It's interesting because looking at the blurbs and the praise, a praise mm-hmm. for Elena Ferrante. Her prose has indeed a bare lucidity and is often aphoristic and continent in Anne Goldstein's elegant, burnished English.
2: Oh, yes, that was very nice, I- and
1: and and apt and very right, right on the money there, James Wood. Um, because I think it's also interesting how people aren't more aren't. You've sort of done this so well, Anne that the translator, you, you kind of have receded, whereas people believe that what they're reading is actually, like, right from Elena Ferrante.
2: Yeah, I, I, people have said that, which is, um, I guess, I, I'm pleased about that, um, that people can feel that they're really reading Elena Ferrante. That's what they should think. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We're going to take a short break, and we'll be back. And when we do, Anne, would you mind reading us uh, from, uh, like, a section from oh, the story sure. of the in lost english? child yeah oh yeah May, that would be
2: great your work i mean in english or italian in in, in english that would be um wonderful. wait a second okay. I, I just have to make sure that i have something
1: um well, well if not not to worry we'll take a short break and when we when we come back we'll be at, on the edge of our seats
2: to find okay, out. Well, okay well I, I think i can find something um can i put my phone down Oh
1: sure, sure. We'll take okay. a short break. Okay. We'll hear some more music and okay. then we'll have we'll talk more with Anne Goldstein today, the translator of the story of the lost child, the last, the fourth and final Neapolitan novel in Elena Ferrante's series. I'm T
0: Hetzel, you've got
1: Living Writers. We'll be right back. <laughs>
0: Tornate mo, con ma cantam insieme la canzone antica. Passa lu tempo, lo ma amore vero non vota vita. Tutta ballezza mia m'annorai, si dà da ricuore d'annanza so la fontana, l'acqua la tinta non si so secca mai. È ferita d'amore, non si so sa.
1: Welcome back. If you're just joining us, I'm glad you did. You've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM. Ann Arbor, I'm T. Hetzel, and today Ann Goldstein joins us uh, via phone from New York City um, on the 38th floor um, of the World Trade Center. Is this right, Ann? Yes, and that's getting right. The setting right. Um, oh. Anne Goldstein is the translator of Elena Ferrante's uh, Neapolitan series. Um, and more. and Lots more. <laughs> lots more by Ferrante and, and lots more by other folks, too, that we've, we've talked about. Hey, Anne, have you yes. been able to, to find yes. the... Yes, I could
2: read um, Is two pages too long, or should I just read a paragraph or two?
1: Oh, no, two pages would be just right.
2: So this is the beginning of my brilliant friend. Nice. Um, it's not the very beginning, because the, the very beginning sort of sets the frame of the whole uh, tetralogy, in which the it's the story. The basic. Do you want to hear the basic story? Yes, that would be great. <laughs> the, <Yeah>. basic, <laughs> the basic story of these novels is is about it's about a friendship between two girls who grow up in Naples, and uh, they're. Best friends, basically, and it's about. It explores every facet of their relationship and their relationships with their their families, their their children, their parents, their husbands, lovers, uh, friends. Anyway, um, this is the beginning of the, in at the very beginning of the, of the novels, the, um, the narrator, who is called Elena or Lenu, um is t- says that. Describes how her friend Lila has disappeared without a trace. They're 60, she's sixty-six years old, and then she decides that she's going to write the entire story of their friendship from when they were six, which was started when they were six, in order to figure out sort of why her friend disappeared, where she is, what what it means that she disappeared, basically. So this is the beginning of of her writing the story of her friendship. My friendship with Lila began the day we decided to go up the dark stairs that led step after step, flight after flight, to the door of Don Aquile's apartment. I remember the violet light of the courtyard, the smells of a warm spring evening. The mothers were making dinner. It was time to go home, but we delayed challenging each other without ever saying a word, testing our courage. For some time, in school and outside of it, that was what we had been doing. Lila would thrust her hand and then her whole arm into the black, black mouth of a manhole. And I, in turn, immediately did the same, my heart pounding, hoping that the cockroaches wouldn't run over my skin, that the rats wouldn't bite me. Lila climbed up to Signora Spagnuolo's ground floor window, and hanging from the iron bar that the clothesline was attached to, swung back and forth, then lowered herself down to the sidewalk. And I immediately did the same, although I was afraid of falling and hurting myself. Leela stuck into her skin the rusted safety pin that she had found on the street somewhere but kept in her pocket like the gift of a fairy godmother. I watched the metal point as it dug a whitish tunnel into her palm, and then when she pulled it out and handed it to me, I did the same. At some point, she gave me one of her firm looks, eyes narrowed, and headed towards the building where Don Aquile lived. I was frozen with fear. Don Achille was the ogre of fairy tales. I was absolutely forbidden to go near him, speak to him, look at him, spy on him. I was to act as if neither he nor his family existed. Regarding him, there was in my house, but not only mine, a fear and a hatred whose origin I didn't know. The way my father talked about him, I imagined a huge man covered with purple boils, violent in spite of the dawn, which to me suggested a calm authority." He was a being created out of some unidentifiable material, iron, glass, nettles, but alive, alive, the hot breath streaming from his nose and mouth. I thought that if I merely saw him from a distance, he would drive something sharp and burning into my eyes. So if I was mad enough to approach the door of his house, he would kill me. I waited to see if Leela would have second thoughts and turn back. I knew what she wanted to do. I had hoped that she would forget about it, but in vain. The street lamps were not yet lighted, nor were the lights on the stairs. From the apartments came irritable voices. To follow Leela, I had to leave the bluish light of the courtyard and enter the black of the doorway. When I finally made up my mind, I saw nothing at first. There was only an odor of old junk and DDT. Then I got used to the darkness and found Leela sitting on the first step of the first flight of stairs. She got up and we began to climb. We kept to the side where the wall was, the two steps ahead. She two steps ahead, I two steps behind, torn between shortening the distance or letting it increase. I can still feel my shoulder inching along the flaking wall and the idea that the steps were very high, higher than those in the building where I lived. I was trembling. Every footfall, every voice was Don creeping up behind us or coming down toward us with a long knife, the kind used for slicing open a chicken breast. There was an odor of sauteing garlic. Maria, Don Achilles' wife, would put me in the pan of boiling oil. The children would eat me. He would suck my head the way my father did with mullets. We stopped often, and each time I hoped that Lila would decide to turn back. I was all sweaty. I don't know about her. Every so often she looked up, but I couldn't tell at what. All, the, all that was visible was the gray areas of the big windows at every landing. Suddenly the lights came on, but they were faint, dusty, leaving broad zones of shadow full of dangers. We waited to see if it was Don Kille who had turned the switch, but we heard nothing, neither footsteps nor the opening or closing of a door. Then Leela continued on, and I followed. She thought that what we were doing was just and necessary. I had forgotten every good reason and certainly was there only because she was. We climbed slowly toward the greatest of our terrors of that time. We went to expose ourselves to fear and interrogate it. At the fourth flight, Leela did something unexpected. She stopped to wait for me, and when I reached her, she gave me her hand. This gesture changed everything between us forever. So that's okay. the end of that. Thank you,
1: Anne. That, Thank, pages. Thanks for reading that. Um, why did you choose to read this section and from my brilliant friend? Um, well,
2: um, I, I, I think it it really gives you the the origin story of <laughs> of the friendship in a sense. Um, I mean, it's it sort of, they're doing something that, the two girls are doing something scary. It, it sets the scene of, of Naples being a, a scary place with scary characters that you don't, they don't really understand. It gives you the idea, that, uh, the point of view of the, of Elena, the narrator. And it, um, it, it does explain, as I say, the origin of their, I mean, it, it gives you a feeling of the origin of their friendship. Even though you don't know, you don't actually know yet why they're climbing up to, to Dona Celia's apartment,
1: <laughs> right? But and it it shows you that moment where actually the bond is like deepened and changed as well. Like what where right you left us in that moment? Yeah, of some sort of e- like equality because there's tension.
2: Yeah, I mean every part of yes, the there's early... there's a there is a tension between us. I mean you, you know the question is. Which is the it's called my brilliant friend which which one is the brilliant friend i mean the the immediate idea is that you think that Leela is the brilliant friend, the one who is so who's daring bold, but um it sometimes sometimes elena seems to be the brilliant friend, so it changes in fact all through the four volumes of the of the the saga yes and and isn't
1: it interesting though that we have the perspective of elena as the the narrator, because she's the writer of the yes, two. she's the writer. And she's, and, and as you mentioned, you began with section one, uh, childhood, the story of Donna Achille. Um, mm-hmm. but there is the prologue. Right, exactly. That, that starts, that, that in the, that's, begi- it begins the whole thing. Um, yeah. Uh, eliminating all the traces. Yes. So... I mean, do you want to, uh, I don't know, because I don't mean to be mysterious over there. <laughs> but oh. I, <laughs> but it's interesting that the prologue eliminating, eliminating all the traces by the time that you're going, like, it's so interesting having you, like, hearing you read that first section again, because it's the first time I've heard it or revisited it since I read the book. Uh-huh, um, uh-huh. And to see the things that are already woven into that.
2: Yes, it's, it's true. I mean, it's really fascinating, because I was going to say, also, I mean, I haven't, um, I mean, I got to the end of, I hadn't, I, did, I had never read, went back and read the first ones after I finished the fourth one, and I obviously hadn't read the fourth one when I started the first because it wasn't written yet, or it wasn't published yet anyway. So, so it's, um, It's as you say, It's. Uh, um, you see a lot of things that you, having read the end, <laughs> you now see a lot of things in the beginning that you wouldn't have noticed before.
1: And so that also must be so like you got it then, Anne, like, because you've got all the threads here,
2: yeah, right,
1: these pieces, um yeah, and so and and you were saying that um when you were setting this up to hear the part that you that you read for us, mm-hmm. um that um Leela has she's trying to she's actually disappeared at yeah, she's years actually disappeared
2: age. in a very um uh very complete way i mean she's she's taken she's gotten rid i mean all her clothes are gone her her she's cut herself out of pictures she's um, gotten rid of all her her hairpins. i mean everything everything that could connect to her is gone
1: and there's some foreshadowing of this in book one where she actually has these moments where she feels like it seems like she describes to elena a Elena that there's like this uh, I don't know like you can almost feel time moving around her or that things are 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 moving right. differently for Leela.
2: the thing that she calls about uh, d- dissolving boundaries
1: yes dissolving boundaries which seems connected to this idea of disappearance doesn't right. it and the, yeah, eliminating all the traces mhm in the the subtitle of the prologue it and so it's kind of this amazing um thing that then the the other character in the book, yeah. <laughs> Elena, does by then deciding to write the story of it because she's writing her back into it. So she she can't be eliminating all the traces like she's taking exactly. Power. She she doesn't.
2: Yeah, right. That's right. She wants her back. I mean, she wants to see if she can find her back. If she can find her, in a sense,
1: and 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 maybe and and put her back into things, even as she's trying to puzzle out this mystery. Yeah, exactly. So this must be very also interesting like to be so close and intimate with the book and and then to be going to these panels to talk about the the ideas with this.
2: Yeah, it is. I mean it's it's interesting actually.
1: Is it sort of a new life, a new angle on the books for you too?
2: Um it is, yeah. And I mean one of the things that's that's amazing about these books is that um people seem to really want to talk about them. <laughs> Lots of people seem to want to talk about them. Okay, let's take a short break, and when we come
1: back, let's let's talk about them a bit, okay? Okay. <laughs> okay, today on Living Writers, Anne Goldstein joins us um, from New York City via phone. Um, Ann Goldstein is the translator of Elena Ferrante's Neapolitan novels. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm.
0: Sì, io sapevo che se si mi sempre a faccia amariggiata, ma voi quanto è più brutta vi facita più bella l'occhio mio presentato io non so se si vana accorgita ma con modo è da tazze e caffè parite sotto tenito zucchero e in coppa marasita ma è tanto che già e tanto che ha già girà con dolce sotto tazza fino a mocca ma ha arrivato.
1: Welcome back, You've Got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today, I'm speaking with Anne Goldstein via phone um, from New York City. Anne Goldstein is the translator um, of Elena Ferrante's The Neapolitan Novels. Um, And we just got to hear in the last quarter um, the first first chapter section of My Brilliant Friend. Um, Let's see. And then we've got the next book in the series, The Story of a New Name and then Mm -hmm. book three, those who leave and those who stay. Um, and finally, most recently, and just out with Europa editions, the story of the lost child, um, the fourth and final novel, which sounds so, so final. And a quick shout out to Rachel and to Smriti at Europa editions and many thanks for the books. Um, Anne, yeah, what do you think about the how it says on the cover of the story of the lost child, which is like the, seriously, folks out there, get your copy. It's 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 bigger than Moby Dick, the fourth and final Neapolitan novel. What do you think about that? Where it's the fourth and fi- it sounds so what do you think about that about because, the finalness of it yeah because you said with book 3 you were actually
2: you were feeling slightly bereft yeah. you were I um, did feel bereft with book 3 but um but I and I wondered what was going to happen in book 4 i mean how i mean by by you know that you know she's got to get get to the end of get back to the beginning so to speak and um i actually think that by the end of book four, I mean, I don't want to give anything away if people haven't read it, but, um, but my feeling is that at the end of the book four of book four, she does kind of, although she doesn't, not all the mysteries are solved, but um, like as in life, not all mysteries, are solved. Um, but she does uh, make an ending. I I felt that, um, you know, that I felt that when I got to the end, I was really compelled to see the whole thing to see, to to look at her life, to see it the way one might look at one's own life. I mean, I happen to be of more or less the same generation, uh, so I felt very close to it in that sense. But I felt that it was – I I didn't need to have more.
1: (laughs) Ah, okay, okay. Um, Anne, you've mentioned the panels. Are there any upcoming panels that folks listening to could – do you have more on deck? Um, but, actually,
2: I just had it in front of me. There's, um, I think on October 20th at McNally Jackson Books, New York. I mean, they're mostly once they're mostly in New York. That's, um, you, you can, if you've got a couple, name them
1: because people stream this.
2: Oh, and then, uh, I'm talking with Jhumpa Lahiri at the Center for Fiction in New York on, I think it's, um, November 12th. Wait a second.
1: Oh, that'll be great!
2: Yeah, will be so. You guys and, will be on um, conversation. I'm at, I'm doing something at Columbia University on December third, I think, uh, with um, Susan Bernofsky and Alyssa Chappelle. and uh, I think those are the and the New York Public Library on uh, a noon one noon books uh, program on November eighteenth.
1: Oh, great! So some some dates um, that folks can can look for. Where w- would they find it on the Europa Editions website for these upcoming talks? Mm,
2: well, Anna, the Europa or? I think they would be on the Europa Editions website at closer to the time probably.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, this sounds this sounds good. So it's exciting. So the, so when we left off at the quarter you said that um that people want to talk about this and the ideas. Yeah. And then you were just saying you feel a closeness to this and the, as being the same generation yes. as, as the characters. And, um, uh, what do you think also about, I, I mean, it's, I, maybe this is something that's also coming up about the, in the section you, you read to us, there's violence mm-hmm. already. Leela is plunging like a rusty, you know, like there's mm-hmm. always, there's, there's violence, there's tension. There's a lot of
2: violence. Yes. yes.
1: And there's, there's anger, there's jealousy. Um, and, and the voice of, of, of Elena, the, the narrator, mm-hmm. there's, there's force and anger in that. And, and it's a, a woman's voice.
2: Yes. I think, um, it's, and said that um in Italy, when the first books came out when the, well when the days of abandonment came out and um and actually, I guess maybe it came up again when the Neapolitan novels came out uh there was a lot of speculation, is this so and so is this so and so and uh people have said that it was you know people a lot of people thought it was a man i mean they named they named many men who many writers male writers who they thought oh it must be so and so or it must be so and so all of whom denied it because, actually, I don't think it's true. But in any case, it was the idea that someone who wrote with such um, such force, such ferocity is another word, that people have used such um, raw rawness, really, you know, couldn't be a woman. Jeez. What's, so but, what's your um, but response they have a, to that? They, it's a, I mean, Italy is a, a bit more um, chauvinistic, perhaps.
1: On the surface, perhaps. Then, yeah.
2: Right. Okay. (laughs)
1: Exactly. (laughs) So, yeah. So, as and now you've been very close to this material. How does that strike you? What do you say to that? About like that? It could be a man. It could be a committee of men. I don't think it could
2: be a man. I mean, I I just think that this the kind of writing, this kind of writing about women, about women's, um, women's feelings, women's emotions, women's experiences. I think um, I, I can't imagine that a man could have written it. Uh, just for an example, I mean, the, just the relationship between the two girls, the two women. It seems to me that it would be very hard for a man to have um, to get into that in the same way. Yeah, that that it's
1: the imagination. I mean, not that it couldn't be done. No, but everybody but, does have imagination and and yeah. depth of empathy, right? But still, yeah, that to me actually really bothered me what what it's <laughs> just the idea that they would even question that a woman i know wrote this. i i agree i mean it's it's um it's kind of ridiculous it is it's absurd it's it's it, it, it's it's absurd um what my experience and with just being a casual reader of it because now I, I really after thinking about what it must have taken to translate these um mm-hmm my hat's off to you and definitely, um, because reading my brilliant friend, uh, so I have more to go in the series and I started Mm -hmm. book four, um, to try and be ready for our conversation today, but, um, it's intense. These books are, are intense. And, um, when I read some of what the blurbs are, I'm, I'm interested about like, there's this, this, this elegance and this, you know, that what people are calling upon, but I feel like there's an intensity and, um, and darkness with it. Very much.
2: Yeah, very much so. Well, she talks about, um, she's talked about, about, um, sort of digging, digging into herself for the truth of an emotion. And she sort of, she says somewhere that if I, if I've written something, if I feel comfortable, then I haven't gotten to where I want to be. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that rings so true. Like yeah. that's what's on the page, isn't it? Yes. Cause it's disturbing. It's not something that's easy to read, but it's something that's compelling. I right, feel like exactly. pulling you through it. Yeah. And, and so it, it seems like that, I don't know, Anne. what do you think? I mean, I think to me that's, that's a case for that. This is something lasting. This is something that's literature.
2: I, th- I think so. Yeah, I do think so. Um, I think that there's there's so much in it that I mean you can read it as a I mean people I mean there, it's about it's about women's friendships it's about women's lives it's about um, the history of Italy in the in the past sixty years it's um, or the sixty years from of the novel um, it's about uh, language it's very much about language it's a book about writing. Mm-hmm. It's a book about translation mm-hmm. um, and d- different languages. Like the, there's the whole issue of dialect. Yes, um, yeah. She does not, by the way, write in dialect. She she says he said in dialect. She doesn't write in dialect.
1: Oh, okay. So, so I,
2: I don't in... know Neapolitan dialect. So so it's always in the the. <laughs> it's always the, in in oh, Italian, Italian, but she'll say so and so said in dialect. I see. And does that make sense to you, does it? Like, it? Well, it makes sense, two I mean, the main level it makes sense on is that um, Ata- a Neapolitan is not really a dialect. I mean, it's really another language. And I think that many Italians would not understand it. Mm. Mm. So it's sort of in that, from that point of view, it might make sense. But somebody was saying last night, an Italian was saying that the thing about the dialect is that it's such a, a spoken um uh. Uh, it, its its force is comes from being spoken, and so you know. When I th- I thought about that, I thought that could also be a reason not for act for not actually writing it because you wouldn't you wouldn't get the force of it anyway. Right, right. Um, she occasionally uses a word in dialect, as, um, but not she doesn't. Um, there aren't passages or speeches in dialect. What other
1: secrets can you tell us, Anne?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know that there are other secrets.
1: Does she um, do, does she do the index of characters as well? In the, yes, that's, she does. That's something the structure is sort of you're you're keeping and adhering to that. Um,
2: yeah, I mean she yeah I mean she she does do that. Uh, and it's um, I, I hadn't really thought about it, but but someone also mentioned you know that's real also like a sort of nineteenth century novel. Yes, <laughs> to have you know one of these great things with a list of characters because you can't keep track. <laughs>
1: Well, it's kind of a wonderful thing, isn't it? Like with my brilliant friend. By the time you start reading this, and you're in that meta, like with an Elena, who's a character on the page, you really believe this is epic, epic.
2: Yeah. Like you. Yes. Yeah. That's true. It does. That does add to the to the epic quality.
1: Um, and thank you so much for speaking with me today, taking the time um, to to talk with me about this series and your work as a translator. Well, thank you for um, thank you for inviting me. Well, well, come back anytime. Okay, thank you, <laughs> or even come to the studio in person. That would be lovely. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so today on Living Writers, I've been speaking with Anne Goldstein, the translator of Elena Ferrante. Uh, the books on the table that we've been talking about: my brilliant friend, "The Story of a New Name," "Those Who Leave and Those Who Stay," and the final book. Just Out with Europa Editions, The Story of the Lost Child, the fourth and final Neapolitan novel. Thanks everyone for listening out there. Um, I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time.
0: Se aviss fatta nata, quella che fatta me. Stomma t'avess aciso, a vo sapete che? Perché in capa stater, con te non c'anna stava nam onesta con mamma. Femmana, tu si nama la femmana, chi sto a chi è fatta chi ha si tu beggi una vipera, Mentus Catalana, non posse chiu campa. Fin si doce con mozzucca. sta faccia d'angelo, da serva pan to see a cubella fame, Tavaglia bed. I told you, Nuntabot Sishkurda.
3: You're listening to the Daily Sports Report. snap, fakes the handoff to Smith, rolling to his right, still looking for a receiver, breaks the tackle and he's got a steam. down the sideline, touchdown Michigan! No, Gardner takes the shotgun snap, looks to his right and connects, reaching for the end zone, touchdown Michigan, Amara Darba. Gardner fakes a handoff to Smith, looking, firing, Jake Butt, one-handed catch! He caught it! Unbelievable catch! Hey,
0: yeah. Hey, yeah.
3: So, as I mentioned, you are listening to Wolverine Wednesdays on the Daily Sports Report. Uh, as always, I'm Zach Shaw. Joining me in the booth today on the outside of the glass, Morris Fabry, Jeff Chan, Stuart McCloskey. Uh, as always, we like to talk Michigan sports. On Wolverine Wednesdays, and and guys, we're gonna go ahead and start with the biggest one of all. Uh, that is Michigan football. Uh, same stuff as last week. Another shutout, blowout win. Uh, another game to prepare for. This one's a little bit tougher. Uh, Northwestern comes in as the 13th ranked team. Michigan is 18th, highest that they've been in almost two years since about mid October in 2013. and Even then, I think they were a little overrated as they barely beat Akron, barely beat UConn. Uh, so guys. Things are going well, and you guys are students here. You get to kind of be in the middle of it. It's it's a cool privilege. Everyone wishes uh, they could be here and experience what this team is like and what it's like to have a good team.